Bring yourself back online. Welcome back to Freeze All Motor Functions, a.k.a. Fam, a Westworld podcast that doesn't sound like anything to me and doesn't take itself too seriously. Presented by Bolin Media, I am your host, Jared Borislow, joined as always by the man who once ate an entire catering platter of mac and cheese with no hands, Ross Bolin. It's true, Jared. I once did. So I want to start off the show by saying something people probably noticed already. This is not by any means our normal recording setup. So here's the deal. We normally record in a state-of-the-art studio. That was where our first episode was recorded. Our analysis mode Patreon episode this week was then recorded in Ross's house because the studio was shut down because of coronavirus. And now we are even further distancing ourselves from each other. I'm in my apartment. Ross is at his place because for a number of reasons. Number one, there is a confirmed coronavirus case in my apartment complex. I have an allergy cough, but it got a little bit more coffee and we're like, eh. I don't really want to risk going to Ross's house and getting his dog sick. I don't care about Ross. Yeah, so that's the deal. I will cut you, Jared. Oh, jeez. So if the audio is not to your liking, we apologize. I think this is going to be kind of the future of podcasting for the next couple of months uh, all around because people can't really be in the same place. That is correct. Also, I do not apologize for, oh. for taking the proper precautions to keep my dog safe. From Jared's infectious body. You disgust me. Ross, one sentence thoughts on last night's episode before we get into a little intro. Uh, that was unexpected and not at all what I predicted. Yep. Well, it was the exact opposite of what you predicted because Ross said we would not be getting any Maeve. <laughs> and uh, it was a red herring that was used at the, the, uh, as the cap at the end of episode one. And then it uh, turns out that was, that was not quite the case. You were right about one thing. She was wearing red. So if you want to hang your hat on one solo aspect of this, you said red, blank. She was wearing red. I'm going to give you a half dub for that. That's a J-Bone half dub. You can uh, turn that into the J-Bone store for a Pez dispenser. Tight. Yeah. Okay, before we get into extensively breaking down season three, episode two, The Winter Line. We need to start off by thanking two groups of people, which many of them overlap. Number one, everyone who rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Every week I'll read my favorite review from the past week. This one's from French Fry 2595 He said, five stars, these guys are awesome. Best complimentary podcast out there for Westworld. They've got their quote-unquote stuff together while giving the appearance of not having any idea what's going on while also explaining what happened beautifully. (laughs) So he's saying... We've, we have our stuff together, but we kind of look and sound like dumbasses, but really we're not. What an extreme uh, roller coaster of a review that was. That was a compliment sandwich, but it was, but I think it was too, no, it was, oh, it was, actually was a compliment sandwich. Yeah, he went compliment and so compliment. And I appreciate that because it's five stars. So thank you, French Fry. Hey, five if you write, stars, a, baby. write a helpful and funny five-star review this week. And I will read the best one on next Monday's podcast. I'm going to do this every time. So get your five-star reviews in. Make them funny and helpful. Funny is important, but also helpful because if somebody just reads their reviews and they're just like inside jokes from the podcast, they're not going to get it and they're not going to want to listen because nobody likes being on the wrong end of an inside joke. Right, Ross? That is correct, Jared. No one likes being on the wrong end of an inside joke. Michael Scott reference. You know, there's, there's, I'm not going to make it, but there's one there. 
The second group of people that we're thanking is everyone who subscribed to our Patreon. Big shouts to you guys. We've got an awesome community just getting started there. Uh, there's Westworld Talk, columns from me, Ross and Serena, memes, and of course, the Patreon-only hour-long Thursday analysis mode hotline podcasts. Oh, yeah. Ross, this past Thursday's podcast was literally the most unhinged podcast you and I have ever done. Would you agree with that? I would argue that it was, uh, it was among them, at, at, at the very least, Jared, yes. At one point... Ross was wearing a British bowling or bowler hat, was oh, saying, yeah. Oi, bruv, in a Cockney accent, and whipping me with a horse whip. <laughs> yeah, no, when you put it that way, yeah, it was the most unhinged thing we've ever done, yeah. Like, I, I could tell you that that was a Westworld podcast, and I could also tell you that was like a some BDSM podcast, and you'd be like, you know what, yeah. It was both. Can it be both? And ASMR. Ross, you oh, like yeah. this shit, you sick fuck. That's what I was saying to you when I was whipping you, and then you requested more. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was a very unhinged podcast. You can get access to it. Right now, only like 150 people listen to it, which seems sad because it's so absolutely amazing that I want more people to listen to it. So you should subscribe to our Patreon to get all of that exclusive content. And speaking of which, Ross, we just broke 150 subscribers on our Patreon, and you know what that means. It's giveaway time. Oh, my God. Give it all away. Ross, we are doing a sprint giveaway right now. We're currently around 150 patrons, and once we hit 250, we will select one lucky patron at random to win a FAMF prize package. FAMF! Three amazing prizes. We got 150 patrons in week one. We only have to get 100 more in week two to activate the giveaway. Activate the giveaway. Activate the giveaway. Here are the three amazing prizes in the FAMF prize package. First Famf. off, you will be the first FAMF listener to ever receive a FAMF hat a freeze on motor functions hat, and it will be free 99, a.k.a. free. It's going to be free. I'm just going to ship it to you. Free. You don't have to. That means it's un, uh, you don't have to pay for it. it. It's discounted 100%. Secondly, you'll get a customized Westworld Photoshop of you in literally any Westworld slash fam themed situation you desire, courtesy of the Photoshop master, Serena. If you've seen her Photoshops before, you know she's amazing. She will do anything. You can put your wrap your head around or to your heart's desire or your heart can wrap its strings around. I don't know. Wrap your heart around my strings, Jared. Yes. That sounds like a Paul McCartney song, doesn't it? I'm all wrapped up in you, baby. Tangled up in blue. And last but not least, Ross, after those two amazing, those that could be a prize package in itself, but this is the biggest part, in my opinion, of the prize package. We've been keeping this under wraps for a while, but Ross and I have a connection to a very famous Westworld actor, that we've never brought up before because we were waiting for the right opportunity and this is that right opportunity. The winner of the giveaway will also get a personalized message courtesy of this mystery Westworld actor. This is not a bit. I'm not joking. It's not like me. It's not going to be like me in a dress saying I'm Dolores. You think this is a game? (laughs) We actually have the plug with this very recognizable, you know exactly who they are, Westworld actor, and you will be personally recognized by them and probably blush out of giddiness. Jared, can we make a wager of some kind during this episode where if you lose that wager, you have to record an entire episode of this podcast wearing a, a blue Dolores dress. Yes. What's the What's the wager? We'll see. We'll see. Something will come up, surely. All you have to do to enter this giveaway is just subscribe to either a $10 a month preferred guest or $30 a month best guest subscription on our Patreon, and we'll pick one of the first 250 subscribers, so either the 150 who already subscribed or the 100 who are left to subscribe. One of you will win this amazing prize package. 
Side note, if you subscribe to Be a Best Guest, you get three entries into the giveaway instead of one. So go subscribe now and you could have a great life with our prize package. Do it now. Come with me if you want to live. Do it now. Get to the chopper. It's time to freeze. It really is, though, because we're getting into the show. Season three, episode two. Boom. The winter line. The winter line. Ross, what does the winter line mean? Oh, Jared. The winter line was a series of German and Italian military fortifications in Italy. Constructed, this is all from Wikipedia, by the way. Constructed during World War II by by organization Tote and commanded by Albert Kesselring. The series of three lines was designed to defend a western section of Italy focused around the town of Monte Cassino, through which ran the important Highway 6, which led uninterrupted to Rome. This is all stuff, like, like your grandpa who's into World War II stuff is a bonering up right now. He Ooh. took a Cialis and he's just like, yeah, I love this shit, man. Wow. Me General Patton. My grandpa listens to the show, so this is awkward. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Hi, Papa. Well, you guys had to have this talk sooner. I'm today. just messing with you. I don't think he does. I don't think he knows what a podcast is. He probably doesn't watch Westworld. <laughs> Seems like... Yeah. <laughs> it's not really up his alley. Yeah. So there are three lines in the Winter Line. So the Winter Line is actually three lines. There's the Gustav Line, the Bernhardt Line, and the Hitler Line. The Gustav Line, though ultimately broken, was the biggest one. It effectively slowed the Allied advance for months between December 1943 and June 1944. Major battles and the assault on the Winter Line at Monte Cassino and Anzio alone resulted in 98,000 Allied casualties and 60,000 Axis casualties. That's a lot of casualties. That's uh, large numbers of casualties. So possible interpretations for what the winter line could mean in terms of this episode. So there's the obvious interpretation that War World, which is still hard to say. I really don't like that they did this. I, War, War World. War World. When people said that was going to be the name, I was like, get the fuck out of here. No, absolutely not. It's going to be something like Third Reich World or Nazi World or something that's brandable and marketable, not War World. But I did say there was a possibility it could be more of a War World situation so that it's not focused on just World War II. I prefer Wario World. Wah! Okay. <laughs> now, so obviously... It's a know, me, a Mario. There's the interpretation that is taking place maybe Blah. in a town that's tangential to the Winter Line. Blah. There's also the interpretation... That's your... Ba-dam. 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 Thank you, Jared. That's much more accurate. Ba-dam. Ba-dam. Now I've got it. The Winter Line was three different lines, like I said, meant to slow the advance of an enemy. In this episode... We do see three different tactics that are meant to slow down an enemy put into effect. Ciroc versus Maeve. There's Ciroc simulation that's meant to trick Maeve. It's Ciroc. A, it's Ciroc. <laughs> I don't know why I laugh every time you do that. I don't know either. There's also Dolores versus Bernard. Dolores's corruption was meant to deceive Bernard. True. There's also Bernard versus security forces. Stubbs defending Bernard. Very true. Hmm. Finally, the Winter Line was a system of defense that eventually fell, but not without casualties. Just like Ciroc's simulation, Dolores' corruption, and Delos' security, all of them suffered casualties during their defense. So, you can pick one of those. I don't know. They're probably all wrong, because I came up with them, but I'm just, I'm just throwing poop at a wall and seeing what sticks around. Lovely theories, Jared. All of them. Lovely. We start off with a cold open in War World, where we pick up where we left off with Maeve, Ross, 
let me let me gloat. Give me 15 seconds to gloat. On our pre-episode Instagram live Q&A session at Freezone Motor Functions on Instagram, I 100 bazillion, quadrillion percent said Mave cold open. And you go, no, 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 dude. We're getting no Mave this episode, bruh. And you were like, sick, bruh. And I was it's, like, no, no, no. It's true, Jared. I did say there would be no Mave. Gloat on. I got it right. And Ross, I know what you're thinking. And no, this doesn't make me a prophet. Just like I'm not a hero. You're uh, also just not saying, a prophet. In this instance, I was 100% right. But again, I'm not a prophet. So please do not refer to me as such by either explicitly calling me a prophet or by calling me a profiting nickname like Bones Stradamus. Don't do that. Hashtag not a prophet, not a hero. Hashtag not a hero. Hashtag not a prophet. Hashtag Bones Stradamus. As Maeve examines her surroundings and her prisoner who's this German soldier, she hears footsteps coming. She gets ready to take the man who enters hostage, but then realizes it's her beloved Hector, and that in this world, they're both members of the Italian resistance called the Partisans. Ooh, the Partisans. I'm very happy that we got some Maeve Hector action in season three, despite the upcoming plot twist that destroys her relationship, because they are easily one of the most badass TV couples of our lifetime. One of the things I loved about this is that Hector... Hector always had this bit to him like he didn't quite get it, right? Like he wasn't quite as free as Maeve wanted him to be. And when push came to shove, he wasn't in it here. Yeah. Um, I, I'll get into this in a minute. I love this twist because they tricked the fuck out of me. I was thoroughly duped. And it was not the only time I was thoroughly duped in this episode. They don't dupe me that often. Usually I can see through the dupes, but I got duped, Ross. Uh, you got you got one of those faces that just says, dupe me, baby, one more time. Dupe me, daddy. Maeve and Hector escape the villa by sneaking past a Nazi general who's wearing puffy director pants, I might add. Um, and he vanqu- they vanquish a number of Nazis along the way, including one by way of a cyanide pill to the cornea. That Nazi took that pill in a way that I didn't think pills could be taken. Yeah, you know, Hitler also died by taking a cyanide pill, but not that way. At least not that we know of. Not that we know of, Jared. Not that we know of if he's even dead. Oh, shouts to Argentina harboring fugitives. Woof. Wow. Not a good look. What? Not Allegedly? a good look, Argentina. Good luck to you, Argentina. Except in your harboring fugitives. Do not, not good luck in that. Good luck killing all the Nazis that you have in Argentina. And I need my scalps. <laughs> I have to say Nazis now, just because of that movie, the rest of my life. Nazis. Enzo Gorlami. Gorlami. Ross, I'll say this right now. I have always, and I mean always, wanted a pair of puffy director pants. And he, just seeing this guy wear them made me be like, oh my god, I fucking need these so bad. I'm not sure Nazis. what purpose they serve. I'm not sure what makes the pants puffy, whether that be a large amount of cotton balls stuffed into them, starch in the pants, or possibly a miniature fan inflating them like you'd see with a wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man. I well, believe regardless, it's the latter. You think it is? It's, it's a fan? It's the latter, sir, yes. Well, I want a pair. And if you want to give me a pair, maybe if you donate to our Patreon, I'll put some of that money towards a pair. And I would like a pair of Dada's with spinners, please. Thank you. That's very... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be matching. People will see us and they'll be like, yeah, that guy with the puppy director pants and the guy with the spinners. On his shoes. Their shoes. On his shoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, together. they're together for sure. Yeah, yeah. Maeve also finds out along the way that her powers to control hosts no longer work, which isn't great for her. 
Hector and Maeve eventually get cornered by some Nazis right as Maeve realizes that Hector is not in fact Hector, but rather a host named Ettore, who knows her only as Isabella. Isabella. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the writers got me with this twist. I was thoroughly owned by Lisa Joy and Matt Pitts, and I loved it. Twice during this cold open before the reveal, I thought to myself, ah, that line that Hector said is so cheesy and so lame. Why did they write that in? And the two lines were, come, we have no time to waste. And I wouldn't dream of helping you escape in anything less than the style you're accustomed to. Yeah, both of those lines were huge indicators for me that something was up with him. And the more he talked, the more I was like, uh, this dude is on a fucking loop right now. Yeah. I, by no means is Maeve somebody who's accustomed to a fancy, like, Rolls Royce. Like, she doesn't give a shit about that. I was legitimately thinking, dang, they kind of took me out of the moment with these lines. Because the scenery and cinematography were beautiful. I thought every villa shot was amazing and very well done and just, like, very visually stunning. But those lines seem so forced and not anything Hector would ever say to Maeve. Jared, you buffoon. You took this completely wrong. I got owned. You and foolish fool. Their love, the love between Isabella and Ettore, was sappy love like Romeo and Juliet and Maven Hector are more punk rock love like two high schoolers making out while wearing checkerboard clothing at a ska concert. That's hot. I, I'm very, I'm aroused. I don't know if we can continue. Oh, <laughs> you and your grandpa. To me, this was such a unique, <laughs> unique twist that they added in. The trap that the writers wrote here was so finely laid out that a viewer who realizes something is amiss thinks it's bad writing and blames the writers rather than thinks it's a setup for a reveal. It's so meta. Well, only a doofus like you. But if, yeah, sure. A viewer, one viewer, sure. I think a lot of people were in the same boat as me because they literally wrote just such intentionally bad dialogue that it became great dialogue. Let's hear from you on Twitter if you were thinking to yourself, wow, this is shitty writing and not, wow, Hector's on a loop. I tweet at Jared Borslow and tell him he's a buffoon. Whatever. There, there's not just that masterful setup that makes the twist great, though. Like, it's not just that, which I thought was a good twist, and I thought was real, and I think a lot of people fell for it. Ross it was Apple. still a good twist. It was just, it was laid out like pretty, there were pretty big be- breadcrumbs that, you know, were so big that you'd trip over them, but yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> bread boulders? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Giant loaves of bread stacked on top of each other. You need to also remember that while we all fell for the writer's trap, all of us? None of us. Maeve is, Maeve is simultaneously falling for Ciroc's trap. It's Ciroc! <laughs> of making her kill herself so she'd get transported back to the fake Mesa hub, meet fake Lee Sizemore, go to the fake forge, and divulge the coordinates of the door. All in all, this entire cold open was a masterclass in mindfuckery, and it, I, I did not like it until the twist, and I was like, oh my god, this is so good. The... The fu- the hologram coming a- coming apart, all that like, that was just insane to me. Mm-hmm. It's right. Yes. Ross hit the Seinfeld bass lick because here's a graphic to tell us where we are going, and that is to a divergence. Thank you. In the I can't South really do we're going to a divergence in the South China Sea, which of course means we're going to see old Armand Delgado, a.k.a. Bernard, a.k.a. quote-unquote damaged Arnold. It was pointed out to us by many listeners that Armand Delgado is an anagram for damaged Arnold. 
Wow. Now, personally, Ross, I have a different interpretation here. Uh, I spent six hours in the forge last night, jumbling and rejumbling the letters until I finally came out with what I believe to be the true meaning of the anagram. I cannot wait to hear this. So, Armand Delgado is an anagram. It's an anagram for Dr. Managed Load. <laughs> you see, I, 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 the Bernard I, that we I have see no, now, I have no response to this joke, sir. Dr. Managed Load. You see, the doctor, the doctor Managed Load, the Bernard we see now, is surely going to end the season as a porn star. Named Doctor Managed Load, and the thing about the, the thing about Doctor Managed Load is that he has a PhD. Are you drunk? Have you been drinking? Uh, I, I wrote this joke at like one a.m. last night, and I laughed my ass off for about five minutes about Doctor Managed Load having a PhD, which is kind of like a Friends reference there, if you know what PhD stands for. It's probably not that funny to other people, but I absolutely died laughing at my computer for like five minutes last night. So Dr. Managed Load makes his way back to Westworld on a schooner that resembles Bubba Gump Shrimp Company's Jenny. He goes ashore and passes passes through the ruins of Escalante, still in search of his friend, who we don't know who it is yet. We cut back to Maeve, who comes to while being operated on by our old friend Felix Lutz, then runs around the Mesa Hub alone, just like old times, before seeing Hector's corpse and realizing she's back at square one and hasn't made any real progress since season one when Dolores woke her up. She then runs into our good man, Sylvester. Thank God we got Sylvester again. Very stoked to see these guys, even if they're not real. Yeah, Lutz doesn't really do it for me that much because he's kind of like a wet blanket, but Sylvester just, you know that man's got mayo on his hands. You, you just know it, dude. Oh, you do. Indeed. In classic Sylvester fashion, he tries to get Maeve in trouble, which he always tried to do before. This is not to be confused. But with I'll classic. say this. Oh, yes. Go on. Even Sylvester's attempt to get her in trouble didn't seem sylvester enough. He wasn't freaked out enough to see her for me. And I had this weird feeling like uh, well, it was just a weird reaction and interaction between her and Sylvester. Much like the cold open, you and I have very different ideas of this scene. I will say. And I'm going to get into that in a second. Just know that we're about to fight. So maybe like grease up your knuckles, put some elbow grease on, because you're about to freaking beat my ass. I'm going to kick you right in your jugular. Yeah. There are three main things that I want to focus on here before moving on to our imposter, Lee Size more, who shall be referred to as Lee Size Less. I found the interactions between Maven Lutz and Maven Sylvester to be interesting, because in my opinion, even after two watches, I watched it twice. I'm not a hero, but I, obviously I watched it twice. I think also it's very clear. not... A prophet. Prophet. I knew you were going to say that. Not because I'm a prophet, because I oh, guessed. But I can damn. see why you might think my profiting is why I... Look at that. You, profi- you prophesized live on the podcast. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm not a prophet. You know, some people call you Je- Jesus bone behind your back. Really? No, nobody's ever called you that. Oh. Well, they they can they can't start. I'm not Jesus. I've never. That, that's one thing I'm definitely not. Jared, <laughs> stop telling people you can do miracles. <laughs> I I can do a miracle. It's called this podcast remotely. A lot of people said it couldn't be done, Ross. You're in your house. I'm at my house. This is crazy. What we're doing here today. So far away. I miss you, by the way. 
I, I don't miss you. This is actually very convenient for me to not have to actually be physically in your presence. Uh, everything about you makes me sick. Continue, though. What, what has, what's happened in the episode? Jared, you all right? Anyways, uh, I think it's very clear that Lutz and Sylvester both recognize Maeve to me. To me, I when I watch it, I don't look at them and I'm like, moron. I go, that is how Lutz and Sylvester both reacted. Here's why. Lutz realizing Maeve is still awake and then looking at her and then immediately leaving the room to leave her be and then giving her the side eye as he left to hammer home the, hey, I know you and I'm going to let you do your thing now. And I know you're still sentient, but, uh, sentient, but go do whatever you want. Like That's so clear. The side eye at the end is so, so obvious that Lutz knows who Maeve is. Okay. Now, Sylvester's facial expressions and brief hesitation to get Maeve in trouble seems on brand to me and seems like how he might react. Uh, I can totally see why some people might think Sylvester might not recognize her, but nobody in the world can convince me Lutz did not recognize her as being a sentient host that he knew in the past. I, I don't get it. And the whole thing with Maeve saying that later on, like, oh, that's why they didn't recognize me. I'm like, no, 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 let's, let's recognize you. I don't know where you're, where you're coming from with this. I thought it was that he didn't recognize it. Well, first of all, nothing about Lutz gave away to me that, that this was all a ruse or fake, but I did think, uh, if he didn't recognize her, it was because it was because he's a hologram or whatever. Not all these hologram, not all these fake people had the full versions of their predecessors, the real, the real thing. But why would they not, right? Because, I mean, clearly... Because so, this program, was like a lazily built fucking okay. hologram I, I get situation. that. I get that, and we do know it's lazily built. But, like, Ciroc went through all the trouble to make sure Lee Sizemore was there to guide her where he needed to be. So, obviously, Lee Sizemore, a lot of time was put into him. Yeah, but I think Lee, was, was clearly Lee, was, put into Lee was questionable enough, too, to where he's spitting out a line that's so obviously not him that Maeve was like, this isn't you at all. This isn't real. He was the thing that gave it away. I get that, but I, I, you cannot tell me that Lutz didn't recognize Maeve. I will die on that hill. I get the Sylvester. It thing. wasn't Lutz though. It was a shitty fake version of Lutz that wouldn't act like Lutz. So it's not whether or not he recognized her is really irrelevant because the whole situation unfolded in a way that the point was all those versions, like uh, Lee Sizemore, that we see for so long, ended up being not even really close to the real thing. Like Lee never would have done anything like that. Maeve notices it. I argue the same thing with Sylvester. That's not the way he would have reacted. It's, uh, Lutz is the only one that his reaction to me, I thought he was trying to protect her by acting like he didn't know who she was because yes. that's the kind of thing he used to do. Yes. But it really doesn't matter if he recognized her or not. I do think you could be correct. It's possible that even the hologram version of him recognized Maeve and was doing the Lutz thing to do, which would be act like you don't know her. Because even then, he didn't seem like he was doing it to the degree that maybe he would have... He see there's something off about him still, that and that's one of the amazing things I wanted to tip the the actors tip my hat to the actors, my hat that I wear when I whip you, um, because all those subtleties in the in these first several now the the Hector or whatever, the, his are heavy obviously a little more laid on a little more thick he once you get into the swing of things and he's just spitting out these lines over and over and you're like these all seem really scripted like really scripted Hector lines. Everybody else, it's like these little subtleties that you have to pick up on. The Sylvester ones were very subtle. The Sizemore ones, right up until he goes in for the kiss and you're like, what the shit is he doing? What is happening here? Gets into that whole thing about how he has something to live for now. 
uh, up until then, they, it was it's just they did so well with this whole opening. It was incredible. Yeah, they. Yeah, I think uh, Leonardo Nam had a great performance because it, we literally don't know through his acting whether he was supposed to recognize her or not. It looks like it. Does a side eye, but we can't tell. He did a great job with that. Ross, this is important. Okay, they say freeze all motor functions twice during Maeve's last stand. Yes, it was uh, incredibly arousing. The FAMF counter for season three is currently at two. Before the season, I predicted that they would say FAMF, freeze on motor functions, in episode three. I said two times all season. What did I Ross say? I predicted 12. Ah, Ross is looking good. So I'm currently spot on at this point, okay? I'm no, feeling think, good about myself. I I'm think directly at two. I think you're in a good spot. Except I'm not, because later on in the episode, they say it again. But right now, we're not that far yet in the episode. Right now, Ross, I am right. And it, it's crazy. Like, I got this right. I predicted the future. Totally coincidence. I'm not a prophet. It's just coincidences happen every day, Ross. They happen in a, in a kitchen. They happen So you're saying not hashtag Bonestradamus. I'm not a Bonestradamus. I'm not a prophet. But I did get this right up until right now. Can't do miracles. Okay. I really liked Maeve's last words before her suicide attempts. Uh, running through a sentient version of the analysis script and threatening death is how I imagine Maeve would go out had she actually followed through on her robo-suicide. That just seems like a very Maeve way to go out, just like being a total badass and like totally contradicting every single part of the analysis mode script. Yes, I loved this. But she did not go out because who jumps in but our man's Lee Sizemore, a.k.a. Lee Size Less, to save the day. And Maeve's like, oh my god, you didn't die. This was mind-blowing to see Lee walk out onto the screen. We saw his name in the opening credits, so we were like, you know. Yeah, but still, I thought it would be, I, that, it, it, this was crazy. This was nuts. This was when I knew this episode started to get really weird and special. Yeah. Ross, would you shoot up the Sistine Chapel just because the paint was chipped? Uh, no, I wouldn't either. I, I also wouldn't. I'm sliding with Lee Sizemore here. Who did not die, partially because his heart is so compact a target. I love that. Yes. That line from Lee, or from Maeve. Shot 15 times. That's more than 50 cent. Sarah, this is absolutely classic season one. No, who's Sarah? The Rock is Rockefeller, Jay-Z's former brand, or label. I thought we were saying Ciroc like the vodka, and that was like a... I no, I was saying up. it's the rock and throwing up Rockefeller for the past week, and you had no idea know, what was going on. I don't know your references, just like you don't know my references. Well, I know Ciroc, vodka, P. Diddy's deal. Is that P. Diddy? I was wondering who that was. Yeah, it's Sean Combs, Puff Daddy. I actually thought it was 50 Cent, which is why I said it right there, but I realized 50 Cent is an investor in a different vodka. Oh, you think all rappers are the same guy? You're a rapperist. No, he, what's he investor in? I know he's an investor in vitamin water, and that's no. That was uh, an original investment from him, and he made a bunch of money off that already. Fifty that Cent is in is an investor in Effin Vodka. That's what it is. Oh well, shouts to Effin Vodka. You may know it from Effin Cucumber, the worst thing behind any bar in America. <laughs> it's not good. They at one point in college they offered twenty dollar pitchers of Effin Vodka. Dear God. Didn't get it. It was only effing cucumber because apparently my friend worked at the bar and he's like, yeah, our manager ordered like 30 cases of this and literally we've sold 
through two bottles in a month. That's a lot less than 30 cases worth of roster. Riveting stuff, Jared. <laughs> Thank you. This is what people came here for, if you're wondering. It is. So Lee says he stayed working at Westworld for the money, health benefits, and to help Maeve reach her daughter. He tells Maeve he put her in War World because it's near the Forge, which is how she can access her daughter. This is like a completely new plot line. They just threw this in like three sentences. Maeve and Lee working together to get to the Forge and beam Maeve into the Valley Beyond with her daughter. Out of nowhere, out of left field. Well, but again, I mean, I would argue completely unimportant long term because it was completely false. Like, just part, it was all part of the plot to get Maeve to give up that information, which for me, the big question is who is this, who is pulling the strings there as far as where we're at in the episode? That's where I'm, my head was at at that point. Yeah, but I, at that point, I mean, maybe I'm a dumbass, but I you still are. thought, I thought it was, I thought it was real Lee. I, they duped me. Well, I know. I'm just saying in hindsight. Oh, in hindsight, who gives a shit? It's just meant to trick her. But like, I remember thinking, wait, is that what this season is about? Like, is May's story literally the exact same story as last season? Are we just rehashing this shit? Yeah, so for me, that's when it was another giveaway that it was all fake. But you, again, must have been like on, you know, I don't know, stupid pills or something. Um, You know what? I just vaped too much caffeine. Ah, that's what it was. Straight to the dome. I put one caffeine vape in each nostril and then one in each ear. And I found out it really, really weirdly, when I would inhale through the nostrils, the ear ones would go off. Who knew those were connected? I had absolutely no idea the sinuses worked like that. Cut back to Dr. Managed Load wandering through the park and making his way to Ford's secret house that housed his host family. When I say host family, I don't mean that uh, Ford studied abroad. I mean literally the family of hosts that he created in his family's image. Bernard Thanks for the clarity upon, there. Yeah, you know, I feel like a lot of people might have been like, oh, well, what did he, where did he go? Like Costa Rica, Madrid, I don't know. Oh, no, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bernard stumbles upon his old tablet, which is busted. And then he goes through that door we saw in season two and makes his way to the room full of Bernard hosts, where he encounters one Ashley Stubbs. And Mr. Stubbs appears to have tried to commit the suit. And he didn't die because he is a host confirmed. I don't remember where I landed on whether or not I thought he was a host, but he, he is 100% confirmed. Very host-like. Indeed. Full host. Only uh, function is to protect the park and the people in it. And uh, and Bernard, so he decided his purpose had been fulfilled and it was time to end it. He aims for his C whatever vertebrae. C6. And he misses, which is uh, sad. For a robot. How's a robot miss, right? Like That's what I'm saying. I, I thought he would have perfect aim. There was, I had that question when... It's another reason when Hector was shooting at people, I was like, this isn't Hector. He kept missing, and I was like, uh, okay, this guy's been mowing people down for two seasons. Now he can't hit a single shot with a pistol. I had that realization, but didn't even connect it to the whole twist until right now. I remember when, when they were specifically when they got off the bridge and he was shooting back up at the bridge, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to snipe this guy right through the head. Boom, headshot. And he hit, like, the, the wall. I was like, what the, what the fuck yeah. is this? Very embarrassing performance from fake Hector. I'm trying to see a man get domed, and I don't mean... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Are we not doing phrasing? Phrasing. This... Okay, anyways. Stubbs being a host. (laughs) Nice fucking... Nice fucking segue there. You didn't even make an attempt. Just leave the corpse and walk away. Go, go. 
<laughs> Stubbs being a host begs the question, was he replaced with a host after Ghost Nation kidnapped him, or was he a host the whole time? Yeah, we'll never know, unfortunately. Uh, honestly, the other thing it made me think is, wait, maybe actual Stubbs died and they built a host Stubbs. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. So I initially had thought that Stubbs tried to shoot his C6 vertebrae, which is the vertebrae that contains the charge that explodes if a host leaves the park. I thought he was trying to shoot that to disable the explosive trigger and thus escape the park himself. But no, he was just like, well, my job's done here. Got to protect Bernard. Time to kill myself. Yes, sir. That is correct. thought that was interesting. Did not expect that. Uh, didn't know Stubbs was just a dude who's had one core directive. Would not have expected that. Bernard fixes him up, and we learn Stubbs tried to kill himself because it's his job to protect every host in the park, and he was made redundant. This line confused me, and I, so I had to look up more definitions of redundant because I only knew, like, repetitive. So in saying this, Stubbs is using the definition of redundant. That means no longer employed because there's no more work available. I didn't realize this until my rewatch, watched it twice, not a hero, but it's actually foreshadowing that Maeve is in a simulation because Stubbs is saying that there are no hosts in the park. That's why he's redundant. There's no more work available because there's no host in the park, so he is redundant. And thus, if there's no host in the park, there is no war world for Maeve to have been in. Boom, bitch. That is correct. We learn that Stubbs killed himself at Ford's behest to cover Bernard's tracks and give him a chance to escape, which explains the scene in Season 2, Episode 10, that made us all wonder if Stubbs was the host, because obviously uh, Dolores had Bernard's control unit, and Stubbs had to protect her as she escaped with it to protect Bernard. Bitch. I'm just explaining shit out here, man. Yes, sir. Uh, I really like Stubbs and Bernard's dynamic. What did you, what did you think? I thought, I thought they had a very good, like, somebody on Patreon said, like, buddy cop relationship. Yeah, Stubbs had always had, always had a good, cool personality to him. Um, he was very much, like, the archetype for a security, like, you know, police type of dude. And him and Bernard's back and forth. Bernard, like, trying to understand why he'd want to kill himself. All that was great, yeah. If this was the other guys, Mark Wahlberg would be Stubbs and Will Ferrell would be Bernard. That's what I say. Bernard says that he came back to stop Dolores from whatever she's doing, possibly trying to enslave the human race, and that Dolores brought him back to be a check on her since they have such different but similar personalities on account of each having been created by the other, as we know from last season. We then learn that Bernard actually came back for Maeve and not Stubbs because she's the only one he thinks is strong enough to stop Dolores. Thoughts, Ross? Yes, that's what happened. It's not Stubbs. Some people were like, oh my God, he came back and found Stubbs. I knew it was Stubbs. Some people who thought they were prophets. But uh, it became very apparent that it wasn't Stubbs when Bernard was like, Stubbs, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, yeah. you wouldn't say that to somebody. It's not like, oh, I'm going to go to Ross's house and, and see Ross tonight. I show up at your front door. Ross, what are you doing here? Yeah, that'd be very strange. That would be. Stubbs then says he'll help Bernard with whatever he needs, and then he'll wrap things up and dome himself. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> Shoot himself in the dome. Wrap he's things up. It. He's going to dome himself up. As I said in my knee-jerk reaction column I, that I published immediately after the episode last night, available only on Patreon, Stubbs is willing to Dot risk com it all. slash freeze all motor functions. 
Thank you for the plug. Patreon.com slash freezing motor functions. Stubbs here is willing to risk it all for Bernard. Like every horny guy smashing the DMs mid-quarantine right now. I thought that was accurate. Ross, do you know what else is accurate? What? The fact that hygiene matters, my dude. It does indeed, Jared. Hygiene matters very much, now more than ever, perhaps. Ross, for years, and I mean literally years, I had been trying to switch away from my bad habit of using products from what I call big hygiene. These are the national conglomerates who mass produce scents and products and ship them to every Walmart, Target, and big box store across the country. Their products made me smell like everyone else, and when I used them, I just felt like I should be treating myself better by using more thoughtfully crafted products that made me feel good and smell on the outside how I actually felt like I should smell on the inside, not just smell like, a oh, this one smells okay. I'm going to smell like that now. So the reason I always use these products from Big Hygiene was A, out of convenience, and B, because I was too scared to navigate the confusing world of men's hygiene products, especially cologne, which is a completely crazy world of complication and brands and scents. And it's almost like being a sommelier, trying to like decipher all these things. And that's why when I found Hawthorne's cologne, whose two main differentiators are that A, it's shipped right to your door, a.k.a. convenient, and B, it's personalized to you via an online quiz you take before buying, a.k.a. not confusing. I was hooked. Great stuff. For real, their quiz is revolutionary, and I'm surprised more companies aren't doing this right now. You just take a quick two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you, one for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. So you know that they stand by the product because obviously if they didn't, they'd be like expecting a bunch of returns and paying for return shipping. So even if you don't necessarily plan on buying, at least take their quiz to see what cologne they match you with. Because once you see how accurate it is and you're like, oh, that kind of smells tight and exactly like how I wish I smelled, you probably will be compelled to purchase. They have unique questions on the quiz too, like what's your drink of choice and what's your personality type to really match their products to you as a person and not just you as a general consumer. They really want to get to know you, which... It's very refreshing in this environment where people are just like shooting out ads being like, buy this, buy this. They're like, we want you to buy a thing that's personalized to you. And so when I don't know a space very well, like I don't know Cologne very well, I want it to be recommended what I'll probably like by the people who do know that space well. Ross, be honest with me. How much better do I smell now after switching to Hawthorne Cologne? Tell the truth. You can be honest. Jared, it was always a concern that you would never find your sense. For me, that was always a concern. And you're a changed man, and if we were in the same room still, I would smell you right now. Would you go pit? Would you smell pit? No, not sure why I would. I'd go But, but you'd smell the cologne. Or, yeah, you know. Or, or wrists, I'd right? get the in old, your... The old wrist touchy? No, I'm still going to go with your neck. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Uh, and the cool thing about Hawthorne Cologne is that it's a great inroad to switching to using Hawthorne's other thoughtfully crafted and matched products as well. They have a wider range of other personalized products like shampoo, body wash, face cleanser. Again, all of these taking into account your specific body type. Particularly, I love their face cleanser. It cleanses my face, Ross. It cleanses it good and it cleanses it thoroughly. I don't know how you smell, listener of Freeze and Motor Functions, but I can guarantee you that you'll smell better if you give Hawthorne's products a try. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E at the end. And use our promo code FREEZE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And use our code FREEZE to get 10% off your purchase. Hawthorne dot C-O. 
Time to get back into it. Oh, let's do this, baby. We cut back to Maeve, who reawakens in the Italian villa, except this time she's on a mission. She's planned out with Lee Sizemore to get to the forge and not all smitten with Ettore. She kind of just brushes him off. She's like, where's your car, buddy? Dude, where's your car? That's like a... Aha! Ashton Kutcher. He, what if we had an Ashton Kutcher cameo this season? Thoughts? That'd be something else. But hey, we do have some strange cameos going on already. You know, we'll get into the, the biggest cameo from this episode later. And I'm excited to hear your take as somebody who had a top Game of Thrones podcast in the world. I think a lot of people are eagerly awaiting this take of yours, Ross. Can you, can you tease the take? Tease and please. I think you did a pretty good job there yourself, Jared. Oh, well, okay. Thank you, I guess. Or I could tell, I, do you want me to give you the tease, to, to my takes on uh, the cameo, or you want me to tease, wait till later? Tease, tease, tease the take. I don't know how, sir. I do, I do not know how to, t- to do what you're asking. Just, just be, Awkward just as this is, perhaps we should move on. <laughs> okay. So this right here with uh, Maeve's new like little strategy of trying to go to the forge with Lee, it's another instance in which I, once more, got thoroughly owned by Lisa Joy and Matt Pitts, and Ross makes fun of me. He's like, Jared, you're stupid that you didn't understand this earlier. Whatever. Okay. When Hector didn't go with Maeve, after she tried to convince him to join her, and Lee was like, ah, bummer. Like, I thought Hector was going to join us. That was when I was like, Lee, you could have just programmed Hector to join them. Like, why are you being, like, surprised about this? Yeah, that was a weird, weird moment there. That was when I realized, like, something's going wrong here. Like, this, the fact that Lee's back in the first place, and now that he's, like, acting like he couldn't make Hector come with, I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Again... I thought this was a plot hole that kind of took me out of the moment. And again, that was the point. And they freaking got me. They are always outsmarting me, except for when they put the uh, skeleton playing the fucking piano in the intro music. I was smarter than them there. Take that out. Please take that out. You need to let that go. I, I don't know if I can. It's been three seasons, and it's just something that like stays with me. It's tough, dude. It's, it's, I feel like it's part of my core directive now. Like, all I want to do in life is is break into the editing room and, and remove take that, a lighter. Remove that skeleton. I want to just like light light a light a lighter under the the strip of film that contains that. And then they're gonna be like, yo, dude, we have like infinite digital copies of that. The film has no part in any of this. That, that wasn't like a one of a kind thing. And I'll be like, it was symbolic, fucker. <laughs> it was symbolic. We cut to Dr. Managed Load and Stubbs in the basement of the Mesa Hub, which is now populated with the drones instead of QA workers because so many QA workers got absolutely slaughtered. That's pretty. Uh, that's a lot of slaughtering if you have to re- replace an entire part of your workforce with drones. Yeah, they all died. All of them. In, in a in disgustingly gross fashion. We learn from Stubbs that all the Westworld hosts got put into cold storage and... Where else would she be about Maeve? Which, again, is just foreshadowing from old Stubbsy that there will be a Maeve twist. Speaking of Maeve, hurriedly enter the forge where things get weird, and I'm not talking about that passionate kiss, although Ross, Lee Sizemore, making out with Maeve. That was something else. It was, until it wasn't. Um, it becomes very clear that Lee has an ulterior motive, and that's because he's been programmed to try and get Maeve to divulge how to access the valley beyond. He, he's not doing it in a very clandestine way. He's like, 
you, you know how to do this, right? Like, oh, well, if, how would you do it? Like, uh, uh. It, it's so clear that he's just like really pushing the envelope and not talking in a way you'd normally talk if you're trying to help somebody out. Clearly, he's like trying to get something out of her. Maeve realizes because of all this that Lee is a host himself or whatever you'd call a simulation version of a host. And Lee also begins to realize himself that he is a host. I thought that was really interesting. The fact that just like Dolores made Maeve self-aware, Maeve is now coming in and enlightening Lee Sizemore to his simulationness. A little parallel. It was a nice parallel there, Jared. Can you extrapolate on, on your thoughts with the Lee Sizemore twist here? Um, no, not not in particular, because I, I, I noticed it around uh, uh, 40 minutes oh, ago. Can you... <laughs> Are you, how much are you going to roast me for this? Are you, are you just making jokes? or? Well, you, you keep actually, bringing it back up. I'm, I don't understand. Did you actually rec- recognize all that way before me? Or are you just saying that? Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. I thought I thought it was so, something was weird with all these different elements that I kept noticing. And obviously, up until Maeve called him out, it wasn't like completely clear cut. But when he started his little spiel to her... I was 100% out on that being... There was something was wrong. He was... And like you said, it was very obvious he was trying to play her into something there. Yeah, that spiel was very stupid. Like, Lee Lee would write that, but he'd never say it. And again, that's why it was like this... All of these characters were lazily made versions of the real thing. Indeed. Side note, am I seeing things, or did anyone else here kind of make out the maze in Dolores' blood splatter on the ground? That's a rhetorical question. But I think we're going to have to post that on social to get people's opinion. It kind of looks like it's like a shoe print that kind of looks like the maze, which mm. would make sense to me. Be a nice little shout out to season one and two. So when Stubbs and Bernard Dr. Managed Load stumble upon Maeve, they see she has been absolutely annihilated. A massive chunk has been taken out of the back of her head and her control unit has been taken. Tandy Newton is a pretty amazing actor, able to have a humongous hole in the back of her head, and her brain temporarily removed just for this one shot and still be a consummate professional. I don't know how she did it, Ross. Some people, like, you know, have lobotomies. That was a, that was a, a full brain lobotomy. She didn't mm. have anything in there. Mm. They were like, okay, Tandy, we want you to stay perfectly still. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take this jaws of life and we're just going to open up the back of your head, take out your brain, and then we're going to stick inside of it a light bulb switch. And she took it. She was like, yes, I want that best supporting actress that keeps eluding me. Actually, yeah. did she get it? I think she won it. Did she win it? I don't remember. I, I'm not a big award show guy. I feel like you kind of are, though. Uh, yeah, I, I was this year. Some, sometimes yes, sometimes no. It, it, what if there was an award show for award shows? Which one would win? Um, the Golden Globes would have won this year. Is is there that the foreign press one? The Hollywood Foreign Press. Yeah. Do they have like a newspaper? Like, what is the Hollywood Foreign Press? Is that? Can I read that? Is that a periodical? I actually have no idea. <laughs> Nobody knows, but we give them an entire award show where they decide who wins stuff. Something to think about. Maybe they should let me decide things. Uh, that, that never went wrong for anybody. Cut back to Maeve, who realizes she's completely surrounded by a simulation and has been duped this whole time, just like I was the entire episode, duped. And she says, and we're not here, so where the fuck are we? 
That's, uh, that's what I say every time I'm on a road trip. I don't say, are we there yet? I say, and we're not here. So where the fuck are we, dad? I want some goddamn circus peanuts, you bitch. Jesus. I'm, I, you know, it gets heated when you sit in the, in the car with my family for a while. Things can go crazy. If you don't give me my, my Game Boy Color, put a little bit of a... What year do you think it is right now? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I've been stuck inside for way too long. I've been self-quarantining for like a week and a half, just like everybody else, and I don't, I don't really know. Wait, what time is it? Don't be a I feel pussy. Like it's like, I've been doing like this 15. since October. I feel like it's like don't, 15 Don't be like now. a baby. I'm not a baby. Uh, well, don't, you don't be like a baby, Ross. Dude. Good one. <laughs> the quarantine isn't helping my brain okay as you can tell by everything about me jared's slow um and so after mave said and we're not here so where the fuck are we obviously then she dodges a bunch of bullets from agent smith by bending backwards and flailing her arms oh actually that was that was oh, that's keanu reeves in the matrix but it seems very similar in a way very simulation-y Am I right am I, or am I wrong? Am I right or am I wrong? Wrong. You're wrong. Oh, okay. Well, David Burns never wrong. Cut back to Lode Nard, who heads upwards into the Mesa Hub to try and connect to a computer to find Maeve. Then cut back to Maeve. So we found her right away. I don't know what's so hard for him. I literally found her in the next scene. So maybe Bernard should spend more time watching Westworld and less time on his computer, get off your devices, hashtag put the phone down 2020, hashtag, uh, uh, I don't well, know. That's none of that's not going to happen now. You know, I, my, what was your screen time? I feel like you definitely are a guy who pays attention to your screen time alerts on your phone. I don't at all. Why would I do that? Well, last week I averaged seven hours on my phone per day. Dude, that would be, uh, far below my average. Really? I'll be interested to when see we, we, I'm, I'm talking pre-quarantine, so God knows what it'll be now. <laughs> Ross, do you want to... Should that be our, our Dolores dress bet? Whoever has more screen time next week? Uh, no, that, you have to pick the thing that happens if I lose, though. Oh, yeah. You need to, you need to paint yourself purple and, and just like pretend you're an purple? eggplant. Oh, an eggplant. Okay. Yeah. Mine seems worse if I lose. I hope I win. No, comparatively, it's way worse. <laughs> I don't know. It's significantly like, I, more work. I, like right now I'm wearing clothes and that other, like my punishment just entails also wearing clothes, whereas yours entails both stripping nude on camera, whipping out the crank on, on the camera and covering yourself in, in paint, which if it's a specific kind of paint will cause your body to uh, kill itself by lack of oxygen and lack of your skin being able to breathe and you'll overheat because your pores will be clogged. Well, I was probably going to go with, you know, body paint, but sure, yeah, that's possible. Well, yeah. Well, I, maybe, I don't know if you knew the right paint to use. Well, I know I do. Yeah, body paint. So we come back to Maeve, and Maeve realizes that Lee was specifically scripted to try and get her to divulge information to someone. And it's funny this whole time because Lee is an unwitting accomplice and is just completely oblivious to the fact that he is acting nefariously. Like, he's the bad guy here, and I thought Maeve was going to kill him, but Maeve, like, didn't, because she's like, oh, this moron got tricked, too. Like, it's not his fault. He's just following his little core directive. And at one point, Maeve says, you can't kill what's already dead. You know what that means, Ross? What is dead may never die? 
Yes. <laughs> Which is the first of two Game of Thrones references that we got this episode. We learn that Maeve is searching for a weakness in the simulation that she can exploit in order to get her way out of it. And she eventually realizes that the designers of the simulation, being humans, cut corners and use the same rules in the simulation that they use to design the simulation itself. After presumably reading on the tablet something about limited processing power, she then puts this theory to the test. She brings in some simulated QA folks to try and break a hole in the simulation, which is how we meet Benny and are introduced to, in my opinion, a great line in Westworld history. One of the truly great lines in all of Westworld. I think this is a tremendous line. All-time line. We have the greatest is lines that, on Westworld. What is that, gay Trump? Is that, is that gay Trump? I just, that's my Trump. Uh, your, your Trump is gay, sir. Well, here's the line. Okay, regardless of how bad my Trump impersonation is, the line is this. Learn your fucking history, Benny. <laughs> Sizemore had some great, well, fake yeah. Sizemore had some great ones in this episode. Uh, my favorite part was how, on the spot, Leah had to come up with what Maeve's, like, what her character is, what role she's playing. And he's like, uh, female code breakers solved World War II. Learn your fucking history, Benny. <laughs> yeah. That, to me, is probably by far the best Westworld Lee Sizemore line we're going to get this season because I think Lee Sizemore is now gone. And I'm well, happy we got it. He was never here. It was so true. That's Lee Size Less who said it. Yeah. God, uh, Simon Quarterman, can you have his own show? Not my decision to make. Has he been in anything else ever? I've never seen him in anything else. Uh, I bet you could check his IMDb page and find out. Nah, that's not, I don't know how to do that. Maeve's theory is confirmed uh, that she looked up in the tablet that she can override the system after she throws a sculpture bust thing into the air and it freezes. And he's like, oh my God, this is crazy. How did you do that, ma'am? And so then she's like, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm just going to try to overload the system. And she does this. Uh, she like sets her plan in motion by going to the Führer's Führer narrative, which I like the name of that. It's a good name. Good name. For the Italian Nazi Nazi narrative. The Führer's Führer narrative with all the maps. She knows that the maps are very focal, a very big focal point of that narrative. So she goes and puts a map in every single person's pocket. Very clever. Very, very clever. We cut back to porn star Bernard walking through the Mesa Hub with Stubbs and now Ross it's time to talk about the GOT cameo. This is Sports Center. Is that pretty good? That was that was decent, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Game of Thrones cameo, the most talked about, the most contentious, the most crit, like criticized slash polarizing moment of this entire episode. They're walking Stubbs and Doctor Manage Bloat are walking through the Mesa Hub. And they look over and they're like, oh, all these, all these uh, techs here are just waiting to get laid off. And they're just like chilling here waiting to get laid off. And then we see two of the ones who are waiting to get laid off, which is obviously a joke about Benioff and Weiss getting laid off because of how bad Game of Thrones season eight was. And they talk about uh, cutting up Drogon into pieces so they can ship Drogon, host Drogon, to Costa Rica. And Game of Thrones cameo, pretty clear. Not at all, like, well assimilated, in my opinion. They, they were clearly trying to make this obvious. Ross, as the host of a top Game of Thrones podcast of all time, I'm going to let you have this one. 
I thought this was uh, hilarious. I thought it was in- an incredible sort of inside joke. Um, I, I, I agreed with the, my co-host of Oysters, Clams, and Cockles, our former number one Game of Thrones podcast in the world, uh, Barrett Dudley on Twitter, who said that it was a it was a good way for Westworld to to not only and for HBO and Benioff and Weiss and everyone to sort of acknowledge the uh, season eight fiasco, but also to say like we don't give a fuck and. Hey everyone! Remember, this is supposed to be fun, um, and I thought it was also a way for Westworld to differentiate itself from some of the issues that Game of Thrones ran into, taking itself too seriously uh, by having this in there. And honestly, yeah, I thought it was incredible, and it was also a sort of a fuck you to Game of Thrones fans who wildly overreacted to season eight's flaws. When I remind people all the time, every, all of the best TV shows in history, with the exception of very few have had seasons that were questionable at best. And Game of Thrones just happened to end on that note, unfortunately. But to pretend that Benioff and Weiss and HBO and everyone involved in that project didn't achieve something uh, on a level that no one else ever has is completely asinine. So I loved the shit out of this. I thought it was uh, everything it needed to be. And it was simple and short. It didn't take up too much time. It was just this funny-ass little cameo and the the prospect of Drogon being sold off to like a South Korean buyer or whatever he Coast, said, Costa Rica, Costa Rican buyer was uh, was hilarious as well. I thought this was very well done, and I didn't under I didn't see a lot of it. I, I uh, heard that there was a lot of uh, uh, hatred, hatred, anger about this, whatever bad Vitriol. feedback, and uh, that's fucking hilarious because if you got angry about this, then you that's exactly what they wanted. That's exactly what they wanted. That's a great point. I, I actually was all out on it until I read Barrett's tweet. And that made me, when I rewatched it, I watched it with a different lens. I didn't realize there was a joke about all, all the hosts being like laid off, like being lame ducks getting ready to be laid off. I didn't catch that. It was very self-deprecating. It was very, yeah. but it was also like, come on, like, come on. It was almost like a, come on guys. Like, come on. Can we get over this shit and fucking move on? We had a great time together. Like what y'all are being idiots. When I watched it, I didn't catch it. And then the second time I was like, okay, this is very self-deprecating. This is not like supposed to be a clever inclusion. This is like, yeah, fuck all you guys watching. I also we're, had, we're going to rub it in your face. I also had the uh, holy shit moment stolen from me by my mom who texted me, Benioff and Weiss, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I was like, I'm, I'm 20 minutes behind because I had to take the dogs out and they got muddy and I had to wash their feet off. Thanks, Mom. I didn't say any of that. She doesn't even know. She won't know until she hears this episode. Mom, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. She's the spoiler queen, so she she feels bad about these things. Uh, that's really funny. Yep, so uh, I now like it. I now think it was, it was well done. Do you think they intentionally picked Drogon because he left and nobody knew where he went? Yes. I think so, too. Okay, so that happens. Bernard then hooks himself up to the mainframe computer and discovers that Maeve is no longer anywhere in the park. Bernard then explains to Stubbs, one of the more confusing situations in this episode that I will now explain, took me two rewatches, well, one watch and one rewatch, to understand it, and now I'm here. To tell it to your ear holes, because me and Ross, we're the earwax boys, baby. We're in your ears and we're giving you the business and explaining things to you. Stubbs asks Bernard, why Dolores brought him back. And Bernard says, maybe there's a way to find out. Bernard then says that he's been searching through his code in a tablet he made, looking for any corruptions Dolores may have put in his code that would explain why she smuggled him out of the park. 
this is the scene we see in episode one where Bernard's in his little tiny hut and he's going through his, and there's a really great acting and he's going through his like analysis mode on himself. So he just explains that he's been doing that. And the corruption that Dolores could have put in him could have been similar to the one that uh, Charlotte Hale put into Peter Abernathy, which contained all the forge data, or it could be an access key to something, or it could be hidden memories that Dolores wanted to hide from Bernard. could be a hidden data set. could be another sicko mode Bernard switch. We don't know. But that's what Bernard doesn't know either when he's just looking for it. So Bernard has not found any corruptions in himself, is what he says. But there may be a reason for that. That reason being that it's possible Dolores, when she rebuilt Bernard with a corruption after smuggling him out of the park, programmed that corruption that she put in him to make it so that when Bernard eventually made a tablet to search for corruptions within himself, the tablet itself would be programmed by Bernard because of the corruption to ignore that corruption. Right. This was the biggest Westworld moment in this episode. They gave us, Bernard said that all in like 10 seconds and we're all like, what the fuck is he talking about? And it took me like what, uh, 30 seconds of explaining it to actually like lay it out in terms that I felt would make sense to somebody. Yeah, who you, you, you would have had to rewind it and listen to it a couple times because he says it very quickly and it is a lot of, inf- all of what you just said packed into a much shorter time span. Yeah. Which Westworld is very notorious for. And, and it's like also, like I always think about Westworld, I guarantee that I spent all this time trying to make it make sense and I, I glossed over some very key detail that's going to be the twist that's involved in it, but I feel accomplished just for understanding it, so I'm neglecting the fact that there's something I missed. That's what Westworld does. That's literally the, what the entire series is based upon. Making you, under, making you understand confusing stuff so that you feel good about yourself and then because you feel good about yourself, you stop looking for more things and more possibilities of what it could be and then they screw you over by making that thing that you didn't look for the answer. Love it. That was confusing. But you know what's not confusing, Ross? Upstart's easy-to-use service. This is another sponsor this week. We love our sponsors. The first one was Hawthorne. Check them out. This one is Upstart. Check them out. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is very easy, and getting out of it is very hard. It's just how the system is set up, especially if your credit score is not great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. Ross, tell me this. If you had Upstart in your early 20s, how much easier would your life have been? Oh, God. The uh, the amount of time I've spent stressed out about credit card debt was... Uh, yeah, I could have gone with less of that. It would have been a lot easier. <laughs> would have made your life better. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter rate. That's how it should be. It shouldn't just be your credit score. They should also look at your entire portfolio holistically and go, oh, okay. We look at your education, your job history, and then put that together with the credit score. And then you get a smarter rate, and that's what Upstart does. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate. Since it's just a soft pull, it will not affect your credit score. The hard pull happens if you accept your rate. And the best part about Upstart, once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. The next day, Ross. The next day. Say it. Say the next day. The next day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. Free yourself from the burden of a high-interest credit card debt, just like the hosts are trying to free themselves from the park. By consolidating everything 
into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash freeze to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes and it could literally make your life easier instantly. That's upstart.com slash freeze. Zuh. Zuh. Let's get back into it and finish this episode strong, baby. Bernard hooks himself up to the tablet, looking for corruptions with Stubbs protecting him, which he does valiantly, somehow fending off a large number of armed foes with such weapons in his arsenal as a nut shot and a battle axe. I love the uses of the axe here. Like, a battle axe is such an underused weapon. I think that they're, they're my two favorite medieval weapons. You mean underused in modern times against, like, you know, handguns and such? Yeah, people tend to go with the uh, more suitable weapons in 2020. Ross, when there's 30 to 50 feral hogs coming into my fence and attacking my young children as they play, uh, I use my battle axe. <laughs> my, my battle axe. Not my battle ox. My battle ox is my oxen that's specifically trained to charge at you if you, you threaten my children that are playing in my fenced in yard. Silly son of a bitch. <laughs> Anyways, my two favorite medieval weapons are the battle axe and the warhammer. The warhammer popularized by one Robert Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Robert's hammer. Which Robert's hammer, <laughs> it meant something else to Ross. Now I'm just picturing like uh, the one of those uh, U-boats uh, uh, coming up to the beaches of Normandy and the gate drops and and all the guys run off with their guns, and then there's Frank, and Frank has a battle axe. Frank dies <gasps> quickly. For Iron Forge! Uh, War is that a War of the Warcraft joke? Yes, I get is. that. I'm a nerd, yeah. Yeah, we used to have a, a gaming podcast. A lot of people don't know that about us. Well, so I just played War of the Warcraft a lot for many, many months of uh, life that we're, well, I'll never get back, in, but made some really great friends along the way. Shouts to everybody who listened to me and Ross's gaming podcast. I maintain to this day, it's one of the funniest podcasts of all time uh, that nobody listened to. We, we, we didn't do many listens on that pod. Yeah, nobody really listened to it. But the people who did really loved it for some reason. I, I honestly don't know why. I just, I thought we, we, got, a few, we got a few thousand listens. We, we didn't know what the fuck was going on. We were just talking about whatever we wanted. At the end there, it would be like, all right. Here's the here's the topic, and it'd be like start off at a video game, and then we go on a tangent, and then we end up at something so different, and then we'd be like, "Oh, what the fuck were we talking?" About? And then we just like have to answer that question that we spent 20 minutes ignoring. Yeah, and we do that every single week. Um, so Bernard hooks himself up to the tablet, looking for corruptions with Stubbs, and while he's doing that, Stubbs fends him off with the battle axe. Has a very fun time hitting his old friends who are like, oh, cool, look, it's Stubbs. And then he's like, guess what, buddy? You're about to get a freaking chest full of axe. I'm talking battle axe. Yeah, he Bernard remembers Bernard remembers his creation, Charloris, killing him and sees her reading up on Liam Dempsey. This is enough info for him to make his next steps. He just needed to go in there a little bit, see what Del- Dolores had hid from him, what she had wiped from his memory, what the corruption had done. We cut back to May for a third time. This episode, waking up in the Italian villa. This time, she completely ignores Ettore. Meanwhile, back in the fake Mesa hub, we see that Lee Sizeless has made it so that all the QA workers are engaged in paradoxical feedback loops, like the negative one question from earlier as a means of assisting in the overload of the system. We then see 
Maeve, walk up to the puffy director pants Nazi general and say, yes, here we are, which, uh, Ross, I don't know if you know this, another way of saying that is, yes, indeed, here we are, at St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast. If anybody got that obscure reference without Googling it, uh, you are this week's winner. I'll say that right now. Do you have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about, Ross? No. And if you get that reference and you join our Patreon this week, I will sing that entire song on Thursday's Analysis Mode episode. Wow. Just saying. Can't wait for that, Jared. Maeve then absolutely narks the fuck out of a Torres. Like, yeah, this, this is the guy. He's got the map. This guy right here, he's got the map on him. And Torres is like, what the fuck are you doing, jerk? Not supposed to do that? Not supposed to give me up on your friend? What is this? Let me get away. Uh, and then Maeve also narks out everybody else, including the general, Puffy Pants Man, causing the entire system to overload because of all the confusion. Ross, that freeze frame shot they had of all the blood splattering and the gun shooting and everybody falling over, one of the cooler shots, I think, in the series. It was pretty tight. Like, like top tier, like top 10 shots. Sure. Do you know what number one was? What? Lee Sizemore's penis. Interesting. Is Fair that, enough. Is that, is that agreement? No. Oh. Whatever. Maeve then hacks into the simulation and discovers her control unit, which she then programs a robot to steal in crazy fashion. Ross, give me your thoughts on this safe scene, because I've got a couple, and they're, they're not the best, but they're not the worst. Um, on, on what now in particular? This is, this is that robot that goes and steals Maeve's control unit and then runs out of Ciroc. Ciroc! Ones that runs out of Ciroc's uh, villa thingy, majiggy? Give me, your, give me your thoughts, Jared. Well, first off, I noticed that the loudspeaker is in both English and Spanish, so there's a little bit of a Spanish connection here. Also, I noticed that the robot CGI was not great. Did you? It, the robot moving around reminded me of the Fox Sports mascot Cletus that you see on Ah, uh, That's Sundays. not what you want. That's not what they wanted you to think of. You know, they probably wanted me to think more of like uh, Iron Man flying through space in his suit. And not Cletus, the football-catching robot commentated on over by Joe Buck. Yeah, that wasn't it. Is Joe Buck on Fox? I don't know. We haven't had sports for so long, I've forgotten everything. I'm not even sure. What's my team? The Wisconsin Cheese Honey Boys? Badgers. Honey Badgers, I think it was. The Honey Badgers. I thought we had the Cheese Boys. They call us the Cheese Boys. Just like they used to call me the Mechanical Squirrel back in high school. I thought it was the Earwax Boys. That's what they, they did. But, well, ear cheese. Something wrong with you, one. son. Ross, I have a crackpot theory. Hit me with I'll, it. I think it's my only one this episode. I think now that the battle will not be Delos hosts versus Insight hosts like I previously thought, but rather Delos hosts versus Insight simulations. I think Delos is a host AI, real-life, real-world augmentation company, and Insight is a simulation company where they make the world and put shit inside of it. So you believe all this stuff we saw was inside of Insight and that's their focus? I believe that Maeve's entire simulation was done inside Rehoboam or at least inside Insight's servers. Okay. And it seems like maybe Sirach 
might not work for Insight anymore, or if you ever did, it's at least Rehoboam-esque, and I'm lumping in Rehoboam and Insight because I am, believe they're connected. It's unclear still what the deal is because Liam said he's the guy who should be in charge of Rehoboam, but he's not, and Sorak is, and Sorak doesn't work there. He's just the architect. Did he take it over? Nobody really knows. It's really confusing. We're not supposed to know yet, and it's good because we don't. Indeed. Cut back to Big Load Bernie, <laughs> who tells Stubbs that he now knows where to start, and that is finding Liam Dempsey. Upon hearing Stubbs is about to blow his brains out once Bernard leaves the island, Bernard reprograms him to be his sidekick. It seemed like a kind gesture at the time, but really he was just like, you're my indentured servant now, Stubbs, and you must protect me at all costs. It's kind of interesting. Eh, I didn't take it that way. I took it just as, you know... Hey, Stubbs had a directive. Bernard didn't make him do anything. Hey, Stubbs, don't die because you want to. Die when I want you to. Yeah, but he was also like, uh, okay, I'll help you do this, and then I'll take myself out. What's one more task? Who cares? I mean, I guess if it's like all borrowed time at this point. <laughs> also, or if you were never real in the first place. If it's, if it's, if it's, if you can't tell the difference, does it matter? There we go. I got it right this time. Sadly, this is the saddest part of the episode. Bernard says freeze all motor functions, so I lose the bet about how many times they're going to say it this season. Because I said two, and now we're at three. On pace to sad. rush 12. Very sad. But I do think you still might end up closer than me when push comes to shove here at the end. It just depends how many times they say it's to, to Stubbs now, right? Yeah, we'll see. He's, gonna be the, he's the only one who's going to be affected by it that I can think of. Yeah, maybe. Maybe sicko mode, big fat load, Bernard, is also going to be affected by it, possibly. Who knows? Who perhaps is any, any of the robots, perhaps. Cut to May of meeting with Sirak, who we know created Rehoboam. Maeve is dressed all nice and in a huge mansion. She walks to meet Sirak, who pretty much just gives us the speech from the date announced trailer, like almost verbatim. He says he needs Maeve's help to win a war that's already been lost, and that his business is the future, not the present. Sirak says he's not an oracle because he creates the future and doesn't predict it. I actually have a lot in common with Sirak because, much like him, I too am not an oracle or a prophet or any other kind of bone stradamus type thing. Just in case anybody was wondering, me, Sirak, both not oracles, not prophets. We just are really good at telling the future sometimes. Both hashtag not heroes. Hashtag not prophet, hashtag bone stradamus. Sirak says human life is in danger. Maybe it's like, I don't give a fuck about human life, right? She doesn't. We know that. And Sirak knows that too. And he also says human history has an author, a system that he helped build that was working well up until recently. He thought it stopped working because of Maeve, but really it stopped working because of Dolores. So Sirak learned presumably that it wasn't Maeve, when he found out that Maeve isn't the one who both closed the Valley Beyond and gained sentience in the park, but rather Dolores is. She only gained sentience in the park, but she's not the one. And that's who he's looking for. He's clearly looking for the person who beamed all the, all of the hosts to the Valley Beyond because they know the coordinates, which can unlock presumably some sort of secret or some sort of system-saving thing that Sirak is looking for. How do you spell his name? Uh, C-I-R-O-C. And last name is V O D K A. (laughs) 
Oh, it's P. Diddy. Oh, it's P. Diddy? Okay. Serac is S-E-R-A-C. Serac admits he misunderstood Maeve's intentions. They were to find her daughter, not kill all humans, Bender style like Dolores is, but that he did not underestimate her power. Because of that, because he knows she's powerful and kind of, he thinks they're aligned, he wants them to join forces. Maeve is like, uh, nah. And then she tries to kill Serac, but obviously he stops her because, of course, he would have a contingency plan because he's Serac and presumably knows Maeve's personality well enough to know she's going to stab the shit out of him the first opportunity she gets. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta, you had to have seen that coming when she went for it. But when she stands behind him, I'm like, okay, they're at a dinner table. He's, There's probably a yeah. knife right there. Like, was there even food on the table? Is it just like, all right, here's a table of weapons. You can pick your poison. You want to stab me in the eyeball with a fork like you did with the cyanide pill? You want to stab me in the dick with a knife? Oh, That's where she was wow. going. Okay. They, they froze it. They, he froze her too fast. She was going to stab him in the dick. That's if an, you watch, that's crackpot theory number two from Jared today. That that is, and you can you, you can tell it's true because if you watch the Estonian subtitles, oh you, wow, you're still going. If you watch the Estonian subtitles in italics, it says in Estonian, "dick stabbing stopped by button man." So you think that subtitles would, for some reason, actually describe what you're visually seeing on screen. You're aware that subtitles are for the hearing impaired, not the visually impaired, as that wouldn't make any sense at all. Um, I think it was more along the lines of uh, included for fun. In Estonia. Estonian, yes. So shouts to all the Estonian Westworld fans. Not only did you know the true meaning of Maeve's dick stabbing, that's, I, don't, I, don't, I have nothing other. That's nothing the only thing? <laughs> I don't know what else. I don't know much about Estonia, to be honest. You crushed the capital Estonia, of Estonia a bit. What's the capital of Estonia? I, know, I feel like I know this. You're sitting in a computer. Why are you asking me? Because uh, I'm, I'm the computer, okay? Please you tell me you're not Googling the capital of Estonia for... I'm not. Okay, I sense a huge parallel here between Serac building the future, like he says, and what we've seen of Dolores predicting the future by knowing about people's pasts and using that against them. Is Dolores predicting the future, though? Or is she writing it? It's hard to say at this point, because if you look back, Dolores technically knew that Jerry, in episode one, was going to try to kill her. So by engaging him and putting him in a situation where he would go and try to kill her, did she write that story? Did she write that story? Because she put him in a situation where he was going to do something she predicted. So it seems to me, like if you do an action that you know is going to elicit a response, that's kind of right in the future. And so Dolores is already doing that. Serac presumably is doing that too. And I think that's why Dolores is so dangerous right now. It's because she can write the future. That's an interesting take. That's my crackpot theory. No, that's three. Yeah, well, the second one. <laughs> so you said there was one, and then you given you given us two more. Well, I didn't. Uh, you said you're a liar. You're, you're a liar, is what I'm. No, saying. Ross, you said my. If, hey, if we were in the same room right now, liar. I would. I'd, I'd engage you in fisticuffs. Well, you were not, so you can't. You, you're just gonna have to listen to every damn word that I have to say. I said fisticuffs, not fisting cuffs. Oh, oh, oh. I, I just, 
need to just like I said, he he got dome, he domed him up, like he he domed him up, like he shot him in the dome. That's what that means, right? I don't know, Jared. So we're gonna find out soon, I think, if Loris is predicting the future. Sirak says he's going to persuade Maeve that their interests are in fact aligned, and then the episode ends. Boom! That's episode two, baby. Uh, so we got our uh, we got our Maeve Sirak interaction. We got uh, what unfolded as uh, just like uh, after saying, "I don't think it's gonna be that twisty this season." They just went twist, 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 twist. For we like got purple 40 minutes. We got it purple nurpled hard. It was a lot, man, but it was good. It was exciting to see, uh, you know, to see Maeve get get back into things this quickly. Like, dude, I would have been disappointed if we didn't see her that long. I'm glad I was wrong because she's my fave. She's the best. Maeve is your fave? I think she is my fave. Well, Lee makes me filled with glee. So Aww. take that, bitch. Well, yours is dead. Mine's alive. Good point. Well, yours. What's dead may never die. So true, true. Fair enough. Announcement time. Thank you for listening. First off, second off, shouts to our best guests. These are our premium Patreon tier subscribers. There are three of them, and they deserve to get thanked on the pod. Renee, yes, Queen. Your support means a lot to us. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Renee. Again, she spells her name the correct way, as it sounds. Next up, Ross, Anthony Turner. I hardly know her. This man, Anthony, is the best guest, and he's one of the best guests I've ever seen. If he went into Westworld, he would be probably a black hat, and he would take over Sweetwater by riding his steed and making all of the prostitutes just follow him out of there. And then, and then after, people don't know this, in the Wild West, if you make all the prostitutes follow you out like a Pied Piper of prostitutes, they, you own the town. You're the new mayor of the town. I love that. Love that idea. Yeah. And that's Anthony Turner for you. And next up, our third and final best guest, Jordan Homer. I hardly know her. Jordan Homer. What is there to say about him, Ross? Pick three things that you love about Jordan Homer. Generous, kind, leader of men and women. Oh. Is he a leader of men and women like Anthony Turner is? How he led the men and women prostitutes out of Sweetwater? Similarly, yes. You could say they're comparable in nature and in moral standing. And in Patreon tier. Yes. Uh, which, if you want to get our Thursday Analysis Mode podcast every Thursday, plus exclusive Westworld columns, plus be entered in the giveaway that we said at the top of the episode, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash freezeonmotorfunctions. We have two months of Westworld content to get you through this quarantine, to get you through this freaking season of craziness. We're posting stuff pretty much every single day on there. You can stay through, engaged with Westworld throughout the entire week and not just with these Monday podcasts and our social feed. It's a way to go if you're trying to go all in on Westworld and if you're trying to get through this quarantine. So please, also, pull back the curtain. It's a little bit hard for us right now to get advertisers because the economy is in the shitter. Ross? Yeah, it's not good out there, Jared. Uh, things are uh, obviously hard for everybody, but... Uh, in particular, if you want to, if you want to support the show and you want to make sure that uh, we're able to keep doing things the way we do them right now, and uh, figure actually this is not, we, hopefully we'll be able to do them in a little more, uh, even more professional manner, you know, when things settle down a bit. But uh, 
to keep to keep us moving in the right direction you can support us directly on patreon and that's huge for us especially when yeah we have lost some advertisers already who are either pulling back their budgets because of uh, this stuff just to see how things go in the future or for whatever reason people are just freaked out so you know how it is um and obviously that's you know if you have the means to support the pod and and want to uh we love you and we'd appreciate it and we'll give you more famp ad free on patreon in return as well as a ton of columns and articles and stuff that jared and serena and uh, i have been writing um but if not no worries too we understand that a lot of people need uh need uh assistance at the moment and oh dog that'd be my dog bruce and also, because a lot of, you know, advertisers are pulling out, that makes us appreciate our advertisers who did not pull out even more. And that means you should support them because they support this show. And they're the ones who keep this show running. That's Hawthorne this week, where you can get 10% off your purchase with code FREEZE at Hawthorne.co. Bruce also, says yes. Upstart, yes. And also Upstart, where you can get a free interest rate check at upstart.com slash FREEZE. If you want to support them, you know, you can just go and type in those URLs and see what's there for you. Check them out. Do it. Great offers. Thank you guys so much for uh, sponsoring the show and supporting the podcast. Ross, the last thing I want to do is give a very happy birthday shout out to listener Abby, who's a healthcare worker currently solo self-quarantining on her birthday today and also every other day right now as well because she's a healthcare worker and she doesn't want to get any of her loved ones, neighbors, any other people sick. So she's quarantining alone and because it's her birthday, she's alone on it. Thank you so much, Abby. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to everyone else who's sacrificing a lot and putting themselves in harm's way to both help others and help put an end to this pandemic as soon as possible. Thank you so much. We love you and keep doing what you're doing. Help us all out. That does it for this episode of Freeze on Motor Functions. Time for the NPR style sign off. Freeze on Motor Functions is brought to you by Bowling Media and hosted by me, Jared Borislow, along with Ross Bowling. The show was recorded in my apartment and Ross's apartment and produced by Permanent Record Studios' Mike Moody. Special thanks to Phil from D.C., a.k.a. Schnapple, on SoundCloud for our intro music, Brad Hess for our outro music, and Serena, who does insanely awesome Westworld and Freeze All Motor Functions-themed Photoshop work. You can find on our Twitter, at Freeze All Motor, Instagram, at Freeze All Motor Functions, and at patreon.com slash Freeze All Motor Functions, where you can tune back in Thursday for more discussion on Season 3, Episode 2, The Winter Line. Ross, I bid you good day. I bid you good night. Functions. Functions. Functions.